It's the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you along with Tony Morrell. Gamecocks uh, last weekend, really, Tony, I think one of the more brutal losses I've seen in a while, going down 41-21 at Tennessee. And, you know, I, I did not see that coming. Um, even at halftime, I thought, well, it's a different type of game than I thought it would be in terms of the score. I, I thought it would be a low-scoring affair. Uh, and then in the second half, you know, it was just meltdown city, offense, defense, special teams. Uh, it was uh, not something I expected. I have not, I hadn't seen Tennessee do that this year. And, and I don't know that I've really seen the Gamecocks melt down in all three phases like that this year uh, for an entire half. Um, and I, you know, I, I just kind of said, wow, after that one. Um, that was one of those that I don't know that I expected. Um, at all. Uh, so kind of your 10,000-foot view of that football game and uh, sort of what you saw uh, when you watched it and how it played out. Well, I don't think anyone could have anticipated the, the kind of second half we saw from South Carolina. Uh, it was clearly the, the worst half of football has played all year. And, you know, all three phases collapsed, as you said, and it just was, uh, you know, hard to explain. And, and you know, it wasn't a great first half by any means, but uh, still was a, a better sec- better first half than second half for sure. And for whatever reason this year, South Carolina has not been a very good second half team. And that that's obviously something that has to change and has to change starting this week because uh, you know it's it's, it's going to be next to impossible to to beat App State, A and M, and Clemson uh, without playing well in both halves. And, and they might even find themselves in a dogfight this week against Vanderbilt if they struggle in the second half. So whatever's causing that, they have to figure out. And uh, I, I'm with you. I, I didn't see it coming. I was very surprised by the South Carolina performed in the second half. And, and, and also, conversely, I was very surprised by the way Tennessee played uh, offensively because there was nothing to indicate that was coming either. And um, somehow their quarterbacks uh, just threw perfect pass up pass and their their receivers made the play so um it's one of those games you want to leave behind quickly but at the same time the team has to to figure out what went wrong and and make sure it doesn't happen again yeah i mean this is three games now where you know north carolina florida and tennessee where you you look and the gamecocks had a lead you know at halftime at least or blew a lead or, or were up and then just got you know, the other team seemed to get stronger as, as the game went on and, and South Carolina seemed to fall apart. Um, and it's interesting to me that all of those games uh, are sort of in different points of the season. I, I know Florida and Tennessee were back-to-back. Um, but, you know, North Carolina was the opener, and, and it just seems to be a trend. You know, defensively, I, I think, too, Tony, you look at it, and you wrote a good, a good piece about this on the Big Spur this week. Um the common thread seems to be safety play. Um, and there have been games this year where I thought the safeties were coming around and playing well. Um, and, you know, now, you know, there, there are the games that we talked about where things have fallen apart where the safeties are, and the secondary in general just hadn't gotten it done. I mean, you look at North Carolina, um, you know, you look at uh, Tennessee and, and even, even Florida to a certain extent, although – you know, they were aided by the guys in the black and white stripes. Uh, you know, it, it just seems to be inconsistent. Inconsistency 
uh, on the back end, uh, I think is hurting this defense that that is otherwise played better and better as the year goes on. You know, and I think that's uh, that's something they're going to have to really take a look at. You know, uh, I don't know how explosive Vanderbilt is on offense, but I know they got a really good receiver. Uh, I know App State's explosive. A&M can really hurt you with Kellen Mond and, and those guys, and, and we all know what's coming at the end of November. So, you know, I, I think that's something that has to change quickly, but I, I just I don't know the answer. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And I, I think that, that, you know, Tennessee exposed South Carolina safeties by attacking them over and over to the point where they can expect to see that in every game remaining the season and, and probably in the next year until the safeties prove – they can make those kind of plays and, and uh, you know, get the job done. It's, it's been a puzzling position since the start of the, the Muschamp era at South Carolina because it is the position he, he coaches and recruits and develops. And he has such a good history of producing good safeties at his other coaching stops. And for whatever reason, it has been a position where they just cannot get consistent production Part of it has been injuries, especially last year. They lose Jalen Dickerson this year. That certainly didn't help. But like you said, R.J. Roderick and J.T. Ebay have had some good games this year and, and some good moments and have been a part of why the defense played better in some games. Uh, but they just completely fell apart against Tennessee and were out of position and um, you know, couldn't match up in the slot man-to-man, uh, uh, particularly on, on Jennings. And it just was uh, – uh, just an, an ugly, ugly performance from the safeties and one that I know has to frustrate Will Muschamp even more than, than some of the other positions because it is his spot and, and it's the, the, the guys that, that he's put the most time in with and, and has coached and uh, they just did not get the job done on Saturday. Yeah, and you know, he said before too, safety at, at South Carolina in this scheme, it, it's a difficult position in terms of what they put on them in terms of making checks and and things like that. And, you know, sometimes I, I will tell folks out there, confusion causes you to play kind of strange. You know, what, what's concerning to me is, though, it, it looks like it would seem to me like those issues would be solved. Like, you know, you have a game like Georgia, you have a game like Kentucky where the defense plays really well and the safeties weren't an issue. Um, you know, I, I think Kentucky and Georgia obviously do not have the receivers that, that Tennessee does. But uh, I think that Georgia in particular had much better quarterback than the Vols. Um, and, and so you think as you see young players grow and develop that the bust would be kind of less and, you know, you'd have less guys out of position. You know, uh, we were singing the praises of Jamie Robinson uh, here on the podcast, and he's a guy – he plays nickel some and safety some. Um I thought eBay was coming around. And even against Florida, Tony, I, I thought those guys played pretty solid. And, and Florida's not an easy team to dissect. But then there's regression. And I, I just, again, I can't explain it. I just, uh, I don't know, you know, I don't know why they don't have numbers back there. Um, I mean, I know why, because I followed recruiting. And there's, you know, there's some guys that, that are missing or that were injured that they were counting on that didn't step up. That type of thing. But. It's just uh, – it's been a baffling type of position uh, in terms of recruiting. Um, almost like, you know, prior to Steven Garcia, if, if you kind of look at Steve Spurrier and the quarterbacks when he was at South Carolina, they they struggled a bit, you know, recruiting that position. Thank goodness for, for Garcia coming in and then Connor Shaw behind him and then Dylan Thompson to kind of take it home. But um, it's just one of those things that, that I don't get, you know, when, when you kind of – 
break it all down. You know, the offense stalls again in the second half. I don't know. You know, Ryan Holinsky to me, I, 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 I refuse to be critical of a true freshman quarterback playing behind an offensive line that's not good at pass blocking and all that. But, you know, I, I think there are some things we see where he's not really ready. And I've talked to some people around the program that kind of feel the same way that, you know, hey, people are kind of putting ridiculous expectations on him and he's going to mess up. But, but I think it's more – it's not just Holinsky. It's not just the offensive line. It's not just the run game. It's not just the play calling. I think it's an all-of-the-above type of deal on offense. Um, and it's, it's concerning, kind of like the safety thing to me, because <clears throat> they get off to good starts, you know. They, 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 I guess they script the first 15 plays or whatever. They've talked about that in press conferences. And Muschamp's kind of confirmed that. And then after that, you know – Things tend to, like, not uh, not work. And Will Muschamp pointed this out, too, Tony, uh, during his press conference this week, is last year with the offense, that wasn't really the case. You know, Carolina had some pretty good second halves on offense. Ole Miss is one of them last year. Tennessee comes to mind. Heck, A&M, they didn't do well in the first half and did good in the second half. Um, so they did have some. You know, then you look at other things like Florida and Akron. Um, you know, even Clemson, they were better in the first half than the second. And and so, I don't know. You know, I kind of look at it, and I, I, I don't want to say this has been a trend under Brian McClendon, um, you know, for the duration of his play calling at South Carolina. But uh, I do think that when you kind of drill it down, even when you look at last year, you know, the Gamecocks have been better as a whole in the first half offensively than the second. And to me, that has to point to adjustments. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it uh, other than, hey, they're pretty good. You know, they, they, they punch, but they don't necessarily know how to counter punch. Yeah, there's definitely some truth to that. And I think that, uh, you know, there's a timing issue with the passing game. Uh, even when you have receivers open and, and the, the first read is there, it, it just doesn't always look right. And, you know, they, they used more of the uh, RPOs against Tennessee than they had against Florida and Georgia. And it, it often looked like Kalinske was was rushed to, to take the ball back from the running back and get the throw out as fast as he could. And he misfired on some of those throws. Uh, I thought he missed some open receivers at times. I thought there were some balls he threw that weren't perfect but still should have been caught. Uh, by some of the receivers, and, and they didn't make those plays, and, and a couple of those were at key points in the game. Uh, and then, of course, the pass protection, uh, you know, was was bad against Tennessee. That was the worst it's been in a while. Uh, you know, Daryl Taylor really got the better of Jalen Nichols. They they managed to to you know mask that weakness as much as they could against Georgia and Florida and Kentucky, um, but it really came back to bite them against Tennessee. And, and Taylor had a great game for them and. Um, and then Hutcherson goes down with the injury and, and you know, get Eric Douglas in there at left tackle, and, and he had some issues too. So, um, you know, like you said, there's a lot of different aspects of the passing have to get better. And, and you know, if you look around college football, there's a lot of true freshmen playing quarterback, but not a lot of those offenses are super consistent. Uh, you know, even Auburn has, has had a good year with Bo Nix at quarterback, but he has not been very good of late. He's been very erratic and, and – we're seeing some of that same thing from, from Ryan Holinsky. And I do think expectations were, 
were a bit high because he did look so under control and so accurate when he came in against Charleston Southern. And, and of course, it was a whole different level of defense they were playing against, but he just looked so good uh, and really has not looked that way since. And I think we're now seeing that a lot of that had to do with just the level of, of competition South Carolina was facing in that game. And there's going to continue to be ups and downs in the passing game until they get some of these things figured out. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. And, and I, you know, and it may not be until next year uh, until they get that thing, you know, kind of squared away with him or, or whoever the quarterback is. Um, you know, big picture, I, I, this loss hurts. Um, you look at the the trajectory of the season as much goodwill uh, as I think the staff and the team earned with the victory over Georgia. You know, and then I, I think the Florida loss, Tony. You know, didn't. It wasn't as bad, maybe just because of some of the calls and how it went down and, you know, all that. But I don't think anybody expected a 20-point loss to Tennessee. So now what you have, I think, is a, a team that looked to be trending up two weeks ago, now trending down. Um, and, and, and you know, would you agree with that? I mean, I, I don't think there's any question two losses will cause you to trend down. But, you know, to me, I think it feels like we're right back where we were you know, prior to the Kentucky game when the Gamecocks were one and three. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think um, it wasn't just the loss to Tennessee. It was the way they lost and, and the fact that they were so bad in the second half that that's something, that, that a bad taste in the fans' mouth and, and in the players' mouth and the coaches' mouth, and, and everyone's going to have to get that washed out starting this week. And um, I expect South Carolina to, to probably beat Vanderbilt this week, but – Without improvement, they're not winning again this year. So um, they, they have to, to use this week to, to get things figured out in practice and in the game and, and come out of this Vanderbilt game with as much confidence as possible and, and build on the momentum. That's another thing that they just have not been able to do this year is that when good things happen, they don't build on it. And and that, that if Will Muschamp is ever going to get the program where he wants it to be, he has to, to stack that momentum on top of each other and, and you know move move week to week and, and have it help not only on the field but in recruiting and fans and, and, and just the general momentum of the program. And, and right now it's just been a, a seemingly never-ending roller coaster ride this year. And you know, we're back at a low point, and, and we'll have to see where it goes from here. And that's been a that's been a um, that's kind of been a must champ trend. And I was telling somebody the other day, I I thought that when you look at, at Muschamp's first two or three years at Florida and his first two or three years at South Carolina, I thought they were kind of inherently different because I, I thought that the Gamecocks, whereas Florida would have these games where you'd go, wow, they're pretty good, and then you go, wow, they're not so good, and then it was it was a consistent roller coaster. I think just about his whole time there with the exception of 2012, even that year – they lost to a Georgia team they probably shouldn't have and lost the Sugar Bowl to Charlie Strong's Louisville Cardinals. Um, probably shouldn't have lost that one either. Um, but, you know, Florida the last two years, it was up and down, up and down, up and down, a lot of down um, times as well. And, you know, I thought that South Carolina is pretty consistent. You know, yes, they shouldn't have lost to Kentucky at home in 2017. Yes, the Clemson losses his first two years looked bad the Georgia loss last year, you know, but, but last year's team, I thought they sort of beat the teams they should. And then, you know, lost to the teams they probably should have, if you want to be quite honest until the bowl game. But if you look at it, you know, now they've lost eight out of 10 games to power five opponents. And 
if you go look back at Florida, I, the last year he was there, his fourth year, and he, he of course got let go at six and five. They they lost a tough game to LSU. They lost an inexplicable game to Missouri where they outgained them and lost 42-13. Then they rebounded and beat Georgia for the first time, 38-20. to They passed the ball six times that game. And went and got a nice win at Vanderbilt. They're sitting there at five and three. And all of a sudden the Gamecocks come to town and block two kicks and beat them, and that's that. And and those kinds of, of roller coaster type performances. I mean, you're, you're telling me the team that put 38 on Georgia and beat them by 18 points that year, you know, was supposed to lose by 29 at home, you know, to Missouri uh, or whatever. You know, no, that that team was woefully inconsistent. And you sort of see the same types of things here. And, and, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about momentum. Um, you can't take one step forward, two steps back. And, and it's, it's, a, it's baffling and, quite frankly, it depresses me a little bit because I think off the field, there's been nothing but major steps forward. I, I think he's recruited well. Uh, you know, he's gotten the Gamecocks into, into the game with some players they probably didn't have any business signing. He's won some recruiting battles. If you look at the individual development, the guys in the NFL that we didn't think would be in the NFL are in the NFL now. Uh, Keyshawn Nixon, Dennis Daly, Rashad Fenton all come to mind. Chris Lamonts, um, and that's development, you know. And and his players love him, and you won't ever hear anything internally bad about Will Muschamp. Very few behavior problems. I mean, you know, everything about it except what happens during the games. Uh, I think it's been extremely positive, but it's it's just that 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 game momentum, and I and I think that because it's a bottom line business and because it's a bottom line type of situation in college football, you know, uh, you keep taking one step forward, two steps back in terms of on the field performance, and eventually some of that other successful stuff you're doing, the recruiting and and all that, it's going to start to erode because you know, you're not going to be able to have the same story that you've been telling because people are going to be able to point to game day and say, no, don't think so, uh, blah, blah, blah. And that's my concern and why I think these next four games are very important. I, I agree totally. And I've, I've said similar things on the site this week. You know, one of the questions in my questions thread this week was, or it was, like it was actually yesterday, was, you know, what does Will Muschamp bring to the table as a head coach? And – you know, what are his positives and, and where is he coming up short? And, and as I broke it down, everything came back to game day and, and in-game coaching and the, the performance of his team uh, you know, throughout these close games in a lot of cases and, and even in some of the games where they, they're, they're not close in the end, like the Tennessee game. It, it's just there was nothing leading up to the Tennessee game to suggest South Carolina's defense – was going to play the way it did against Tennessee. <laughs> it just it, it came out of nowhere. Um, and now there were some reasons to to believe the offense may have some ups and downs, and, and they had more downs than ups, as it turned out, in, over the course of that game, especially in the second half. But, um, you know, they fought the entire first half. They get back. They get the lead at the half. They have the momentum going into halftime, and they come out, and it, it's like the first half never happened. And those are the things that are just so hard to, to – to explain or understand or uh, you know, just comprehend why they happen. And, and I'm sure as frustrating as it is for us and for the Carolina fans, 
imagine how frustrating it is for his coaches and for Will Muschamp himself. Oh man! Yeah. Uh, because it, you know, because it, it's it. It's not that he isn't a smart guy. It's not that he doesn't know football. It's not that he's interfering with the offense. It's not that he's slowing down the development of Ryan Holinsky. Like, <laughs> you know, none, none of that is, is, is on him. Um, and, and, and I don't think he has any of those weaknesses that I mentioned. But it's just, for whatever reason, things are not clicking in games uh, consistently enough. And, and, you know, unfortunately for him, I, I think he's, he's getting to the end of his rope whether it's this year or next year, if he doesn't get this thing figured out really soon, uh, you know, he, his days as a head coach may be numbered. Uh, I, I think he, he has to, to somehow take a long look at, at what can be done differently and, and, and try to, to, to push some different buttons on game day and see if he can get some different results. Yeah, I'm with you there. And I, and I think, you know, one of the things that I think we may see, and uh, you know, just talking to some sources this week about everything in the state of things, I think one of the things we may see is they may use to carry and Joiner a little bit more quarterback in terms of, you know, just a change of pace, just to give them an extra deal. Um, you know, you could do some different things with to carry on, obviously, and uh, I, I don't know that they're going to make a, a full change at the position. But now that he's healthy and, and ready to roll, I could, I could see them using him a little bit more. Um, you know, and, and it's not that Holinsky's not getting it done. It's just that, you know, sometimes you need a change of pace guy. Um, and, uh, you know, sources I talked with this week, they, they like to carry on and what he kind of brings to the table at times. So I think that, um, you know, I think that may be one thing you see that to, to kind of tweak the offense a little bit. It's more joiner. Uh, I don't think we've seen them run any kind of packages for him uh, in terms of taking advantage of his legs and things like that. But I, I do think that's something that we may we may see here in the next couple of games. You know, something. To well, keep I could see it. Yeah, I could see it if he is truly healthy, and and that's the that's the key I think with him because if you look at at uh, you know even going back to the Georgia game, I know they ended up winning the game with him at quarterback there in the second half, but. He wasn't himself. You know, he was he was at least a step and a half, if not two steps slow. And you could tell that the, the hamstring was certainly bothering him. He really hasn't played since then. And, and I know he said this week that he's healthy and he was allowed to meet with the media and, uh, and, and, and things point to him being healthy. But you still want to see it. If he is, then I think it makes sense to get him in there as a change of pace guy, take some pressure off the offensive line. And, and run some plays that, that give him the, the chance to use his strengths and, and, and try to make some plays happen. I, I still think Alinsky gives them the best chance to win, uh, particularly beyond this week. Uh, but, but having Joyner as a part of the game plan and trying to get the ball in his hand certainly makes some sense too. How much do you think South Carolina misses Jake Bentley right now? Well, that's a tough question to answer. It is, it uh, is. But I've, I've been uh, asking a couple of times this week, so. I'd... Yeah, I mean, I mean, certainly you would you would like to have his experience to fall back on, uh, but but even Bentley was just so up and down as a quarterback, and and I, I think we're we're starting to see that maybe some of that is is not just on him, that it, some of it is system related and play calling related, uh, because you're seeing some of the same inconsistencies from Helensky, um, but. It's it's hard to measure what Jake Bentley would give them. Is it the the Jake Bentley that that you know played so well in the second last season uh, leading up to the Akron game, or is it the Jake Bentley who struggled against Akron 
and and struggled in the bowl game and then struggled against North Carolina. So it's just, I guess the the, the only way to answer that is is it depends on which Jake Bentley you're talking about and and that's the 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 issue there that you just you didn't know which one was going to show up. Yeah, that's that's true. I, that, that's my thing. I, I I think in certain situations they certainly could have used him. Uh, Missouri comes to mind. Um, you know, I, I I think there are other factors, and and I think there's been other factors that have, you know, caused the the offense of the quarterback play to not be great. Not not saying that, you know, Halinski and Bentley and Joyner or whoever were perfect, but I, I just I think there's been other factors at play there. And that's another one of those unexplainable things, I think. I just, you know, uh, is it play calling? Well, you know, you look at the, the, the scripted plays to, to tend to work well, then there's no adjustments. I I tend to believe it's adjustments. And I know Muschamp sweared it wasn't during the press conference this week. But I, I just, you know, there's there's a reason. And, 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 again, even going back to last year, Tony, you know, this is a team that had a 17-3 to lead uh, on Ole Miss on the road, and next thing you know, you look up and they're down 10. You know, now they came back and won the game, you know. But it, it, it just, you know, I don't know. I look at the first halves and the second halves last year and, and then this year, and, yeah, I just I just don't know that I agree that, uh, that there's a bunch of adjustments that are maybe good adjustments being made. Um, but, you know, it, we'll see. I don't know. Look for Joyner. Uh, to maybe play some if he indeed is healthy this weekend, kind of based on based on what I'm told. I'll say this, and then we'll wrap Tennessee here. I think a lot of things are reactionary these days. Uh, and, and I think being reactionary about a team and honest and kind of being in the moment about where a team is is one thing. I think making, you know, sweeping generalizations about programs and – you know, one game doing this, that, or the other is quite another. I don't think Tennessee is back. I don't think Tennessee is a better program than South Carolina right now, although historically they are. Um, I do think it's something to keep an eye on, but this is nothing in terms of, I guess, the Vols, you know, being resurgent and knocking the Gamecocks down a peg in the SEC's pecking order. You know, this is nothing that indicates that right now. Now, Tennessee runs off three, four in a row, starts winning division titles. That's one thing. But, you know, despite how well they played against South Carolina this weekend, um, they could just as easily lose to UAB at home on Saturday. <laughs> I just uh, I, I just wanted to tell folks out there, I'm not buying that Tennessee necessarily is back based on that one game, which on the game from the Gamecock standpoint was a complete disaster. Yeah, and I tend to agree. I mean, you know, Jared Garantano has not played that way before this season, and, and there's no guarantee he'll play that way again. Uh, for whatever reason, he just was was on with his throwing and, and made some tremendous throws and was very confident. But that's not the quarterback we've seen for the majority of this year. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, history says he's probably not going to continue to play that way. Um, you know, and, and I, th- I will say linebacker and offensive line, uh, the, the future of those two positions at Tennessee is very bright with mm-hmm. the number of freshmen they had playing on uh, at those two uh, position groups and the number of plays they made and how well they played on the offensive line against the defensive line who's been playing really well for South Carolina. Tennessee's offensive line got the better of South Carolina and did it with a lot of true freshmen or, or redshirt freshmen and or you know sophomores and then um, and their linebacker 
are, are going to be really good. So I think they are doing some good things at Tennessee, but I'm certainly not ready to, to project their – they're ready to get back to, to what they've been historically. Yeah, I'm stunned their offensive line's gotten as gotten as as improved. I mean, that unit may be more improved from game one till now than any individual unit in the country. And I haven't watched all of them, and so I may be wrong about that. But I mean, look at looking at what they were against Georgia State and BYU and Florida, and looking at what they are now. I mean, that that's that's a that's a big difference. Now they've gotten some injured players back and, and things of that nature. And I agree, their linebackers are big and nasty and athletic. Um, and so I, th- I think I think you could see some pieces starting to, you know, get into place. But I I just I wanted to tell everybody out there as long as the Gamecocks right the ship one way or the other, you know, there's no Tennessee is not past South Carolina yet. Um, you know, I don't know that there's a big huge difference between the two programs right now, but. Uh, you know, don't don't think we're going back to the '90s all of a sudden. Um, and I and I say that to say this. You know, what you don't want to have happen is Tennessee to be resurgent, and to then come into South Carolina and start plucking off players like they did so well way back in the day. You you don't ever want to go back there as a program. This program's come too far, you know, to allow that to happen in the last 20 years. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that doesn't. But you know, I think people need to kind of look and see exactly where the reality is. All right, switching gears to recruiting. And Reggie Grimes, who is from Tennessee, Laneth Whitehead, or Laneth Whitehead, who South Carolina is battling Tennessee for. And then uh, Henry Parrish, Tony. Uh, Gamecock's still in good shape with those guys. And, um, I, I read some reports from you this week that would indicate that they are. Yeah, I, I would say of those three, I feel the best on Whitehead. Uh, he's going to visit Wisconsin next weekend and then make his decision the following week. And I think South Carolina is in a really good position with him, and, and it's going to take something unexpected for them not to land him. Uh, I think his, right now his plan is to pick the Gamecocks, from what I've been told, and uh, I think they've done a great job of recruiting him this season and building a relationship with him and really selling him on the opportunity uh, in Columbia, whether it's at running back or linebacker. I think he will, assuming he does choose the Gamecocks, would – would make his decision on which position he wanted to play once he got on campus. Uh, I still think, you know, Reggie Grimes, I haven't heard a lot of specifics on him this week, really since the Tennessee game, but I know going into it, South Carolina felt very good about its position, and and I would think that's still the case despite the way things went against Tennessee. I don't think the balls are a big fear with him. I think really the only team that that, that could be a, a, a obstacle for South Carolina is if Alabama were to decide to take him. Uh, but I, it doesn't look like that's going to happen as things stand today. And things have been quiet on Parrish. Uh, as of a couple of weeks ago, South Carolina felt like they were the team to um, He really hasn't done much with recruiting since then, and there hasn't been a lot of information out there. Uh, I've checked with a couple of sources who basically just said, you know, haven't heard anything to indicate things have changed, uh, which is the way I've just sort of been answering things. But, uh, but I, I know coming off the visit, the Gamecocks felt really good about their position with him and the, the opportunity they presented to him at running back with the number of, of running backs they're, they're losing after this season. Yeah, and his film's outstanding, folks, if you had not checked it out. And I'll say this, too, just from years of covering recruiting down there, Miami players, players from the Miami area, they either are going to give an update every day on their recruitment, and now they'll do it through Twitter, or they will go quiet. And, and you can't worry. You just have to kind of stay the course. 
you know, Tony, you covered the recruitment of um, uh, Dante Nichols and Akeem Auguste and Emmanuel Cook and Kendrick Ellis. Uh, those guys, you know, uh, they weren't real anxious to talk on the phone and give updates back then. We didn't even have Twitter back then uh, to do it. And uh, that those all turned out fine, uh, if I recall correctly. And those are all South Florida kids as well. So, uh, you know, in that case, I think, I think, you know, it's okay to be patient, right? Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, South Florida kids are a different bunch. It's a different area down there and, 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 they have a different way of doing things, and um, you know I think uh, if anybody's going to turn Parish from Pittsburgh, I think it'll be South Carolina. Um, but we'll just have to wait and see. You know that they, they they can't let it go cold. You know they had the visit, they took the got the official visit during the season, and, and may not get him back on campus unless it's for the Clemson game. They can somehow get him up, for that. but um, if they can continue to to build on on momentum they generated when he was on campus for his official visit. I think they have a pretty good shot to, to have him be a part of the class. Yeah, you pit the nail on the head. Don't let it go cold. That's 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 the deal there. All right, big picture, next four games. Kind of big picture, small picture here. Window, if you will. It's a window. Um, you got Vanderbilt. You got App State. Both home games, both night games. App State's ranked. I will say this, talking to a source this week, breaking down Vanderbilt film. Uh, someone that broke down their film said they flat out beat Missouri and they are much better than they've been earlier in the year. And they play really hard and tough. And, you know, this particular person that I talked to was not thinking this was going to be a layup game at all for South Carolina. I was also told App State is going to be extremely difficult because they're very, very good. And then at A&M and back home for the finale against Clemson, you know, Tony, I, I, I think they're I think the Gamecocks have to must champ and the staff have to win and I don't know this for sure, nobody's told me this, but but in my estimation, if they go four and eight, it's gonna be hard not it's gonna be hard for Ray Tanner and everybody to just ignore the groundswell of demand for change. Um if that makes sense. I'm not saying that's definitely gonna happen because, you know, I've seen ADs and administrations dig in before and do it. Um, I think five and seven is kind of questionable. Uh, I think this, I, I think they need to get to six and six. I think they can, they're capable of doing so. Uh, and I think getting to six and six and going three and one, if you beat A&M or Clemson plus a ranked app state, beat Vandy again, uh, I think that's salvaging the season, uh, you know, just in terms of how I, I can perceive it. Cause at that point you get to bowl and you go bowling again, you keep recruiting, uh, and you just move on, you know, and keep keep moving forward. Uh, I think anything less than that's going to be kind of tricky. Uh, it, how do you kind of see it, uh, just in terms of the these next four games, which I don't think are going to be easy. Carolina could lose, like you said, if they don't improve, they could lose all four, or they could easily go one and three. This could be the last victory this weekend against Vanderbilt. Yeah, I think they have to at least go two and two. Uh, I think you know anything worse than that, and it's going to create a scenario that. It's going to be very tough to recruit uh, after the season, and I think it's going to be very tough for for Will Muschamp to to sell himself as a head coach and to sell the future of the program and and where the program is headed when he walks into to the living room of recruits and meets with them on official visits and uh, you know, all the, all those sort of things that are required to to build a program. I just don't know how you sell it. So 
Um, I, I, I think that they have to beat Vanderbilt starting this week. I think they need to find a way to beat App State. If they can find a way to win one out of two against A&M and Clemson, get back to six and six, go to a bowl, like you said, I, I think that, that creates a scenario that you can make that work. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can sell it. You can say you had a game or two that you – you just didn't didn't play the way you thought you were going to play, and and you're going to get that fixed in the off season, and, and you can sell that. Um, you go four and eight, you you lose your last five games, the last six games, I guess it would be Florida, Tennessee, and then the four remaining. Um, that's that's just no way to go into an off season. And and I'm not only do I not do I not know how you sell it on the recruiting trail, but I don't know how you sell it internally to your returning players? How do you keep them energized and focused and, and ready to do what needs to be done in the offseason to, to get better next year uh, if, they, if they lose their last six games and, and it includes losses to Vanderbilt and at Tennessee and App State? It just, I think it's, it, it would create an extremely tough scenario, uh, not only for Ray Tanner, uh, but for the Board of Trustees and, and, and for the new president, President Castlin. You know, he's, he's the wild card in all of this, and if, if – if changes have to be made, he has no loyalty to anyone at this stage. And it, it would be very interesting to see how he would choose to, to handle things and, and how the board would choose to handle things and then filter down from there. But um, I, I think we're either headed towards uh, some really rough waters from a coaching standpoint uh, or the coaches have a chance to save themselves and, and to, to save the season and the trajectory of the program with these in these next four games. Yeah, I agree completely with you. I think that, you know, a bad year. And, I'm, and I said that at the beginning of the year. For the life of me, I didn't believe South Carolina would end up having a bad year. I said, you know, cause f- folks, folks tend to use the line, there's no way Ray Tanner will fire Will Muschamp. And, and I said, well, probably not, but, you know, in the SEC these days, you just don't survive unless you have like a lot of like credibility built up. I don't want to use the term "war chest" of credibility because someone's used that already. Uh, unless you have a lot of credibility built up, and, and you can go, oh, "Okay, he had a bad year. We're going to keep sticking with him," and, and you know, just don't have another one. You know, Brian Kelly at Notre Dame's an example. He went four and eight a couple of years ago. That's a place with high standards, obviously. Um, around the SEC. You know, I've seen situate. Let's let's say Kirby Smarter Nick Saban had a bad year. They would be one year away from getting fired, but they would still get a chance to come back. But most programs, you just don't survive in year four. Now, year one or two during a rebuild, I think it's fine. But year four, you just you don't survive the the, the bottom falling out, and the bottom falling out for this program now is not one in twenty one. You know that, that that should never happen again. You know, a four and eight record is very abnormal with South Carolina when you look at the twenty year history or whatever. Um, and so, so I agree with you there. I've been saying that, and I told people that I was like, "Yeah, there is one scenario where you get fired, and that's if the bottom falls out." And here we are talking about it. So I am hopeful that that does not happen. I, I am, I am hopeful. I think the best thing is is to get it back. You know, try to get to a bowl, reassess. You know, and let Will Muschamp keep going. Um, you know, because any kind of change also throws things into chaos. Um, and then there's the question of who you want to go get. All right, Vanderbilt, uh, and like I said, talking to some sources today, they're very impressed. And they kind of have a three-headed monster, Tony, of uh, tight end Jared Pickney, uh, wide receiver Kalijah Lipscomb, and then one of the best running backs for my money, 
in the SEC and Keyshawn Vaughn. So capable players on offense. Defense, they're probably not as talented, but they've got a lot of guys that will just play their assignment and play hard and play fast and come at you. Um, so, yeah, th this could be kind of a tricky game. You know, Vandy beat Missouri um, and then took a week off. And, uh, you know, so they're probably hopeful that uh, they can come to South Carolina and win. And I'll also say this. If you look at Derek Mason's comments after the Missouri game where he was very defiant and basically was out there talking about, you know, he's – you know, you almost get the sense he's telling his players that they're playing for his job. I know that his players love him. Uh, I know he's a good players coach. I know that he's a guy that, you know, has worked really hard at Vandy. I don't know that he deserves to be fired, but they do have a new AD. Um, so, so there's a lot of, like – in addition to Vandy being improved, there's a lot of added motivation for the Commodores uh, coming into Columbia Saturday night that maybe people don't know about. Yeah, there's there's no question they have some capable guys on this team, and and it's uh, I feel like I've said this a lot this year, but it, it's not a game where South Carolina can afford to take them lightly, <laughs> uh, and you wouldn't think that would happen after the way the second half went. At Tennessee last week, you would think South Carolina would come out a frustrated team and is ready to to get back on the field and, and put that Tennessee game behind them. Uh, but I, I think this is the kind of Vanderbilt team that you can't afford to give them early momentum and early confidence. Uh, South Carolina needs to, to get off to a good start in this game. It can't be an, an oh, no, here we go again type feeling for South Carolina um, with the way things went last week and, and – they have to, to get the crowd into the game. It's probably not going to be a great crowd coming off that loss. Uh, so even though it is a night game and, and the night games tend to be you know pretty well attended generally, but but I would imagine it's not going to be your typical Williams Bryce atmosphere in, in you know game eight of the year or whatever this is right now. So uh, it, it's one where South Carolina needs to get off to a good start and get back to the things they were doing well against Georgia and Florida and, and especially defensively, and then get the timing back in the passing game and, and become a more complete offense again. Absolutely, I agree. And I, and I think establishing the run, too. I think the Gamecocks can get some, some rushing yards uh, this week. Turn Tavian Feast for loose. Mon Denson has to play better than he did at Tennessee, obviously. Um, and the offensive line needs to has run blocked, by and large, better than its pass blocked this year. I, I don't know that Vandy's huge on the D-line. That type of thing. And if Joyner comes in, it can help him run the ball. That's great. Um, you know, Vandy's had some quarterback issues, but, you know, they do have weapons. And uh, it should be an interesting one. Gamecocks a 15-point favorite, 7.30 p.m. Kickoff on the SEC Network. Be sure to catch Tony's Five Keys to Victory article on the Big Spur later this week. Also, my final word where I'll predict the game. Also, if you're not a Big Spur member, now is a good time to join Sign up for our free trial VIP membership, and uh, we'll have some news on the site today. You get a free membership to CBS All Access. So those of you, like uh, a lot of us that have cut the cord and are streamers now, uh, this is like a $100 value uh, for all your CBS programming, lots of movies, shows, sports, NFL, NCAA basketball. You know, CBS has a lot of things. You get that free. Uh, with a membership to thebigspur.com on 24-7 Sports. Uh, also, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, and lots of other places you can find podcasts. So, for Tony Morrell, this is J.C. Sherbert. This has been the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Have a great week, everyone.